Welcome to part one of our brand new series on the book of James. Uh, it's a really easy to read book in the sense that it's not long. It's got six, sorry, five chapters. So uh, if, if you're not going to meditate on every part of it, you can probably read through it in about 12 minutes. Uh, but trying to put it into practice will take you about 70 years. Uh, it is a challenging book. It is real. It is raw. It's, it, it really challenges you where you live. Uh, if you were with us the previous several weeks, um, then you would know that we just completed a series uh, that we call Journeying Through the Bible. So we took you through the whole Bible, uh, all 66 books, um, in seven weeks. And so it was kind of what we called the 30,000-foot view. Um, what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're getting right down onto a street-level view um, as we take passage, sort of one passage at a time. Uh, one concept at a time that uh, the Apostle James addresses in this short letter. Um, and we're going to be taking a look at how we can uh, implement this in our lives. And I think that there's going to be hope and encouragement. Uh, today's message in particular, I hope, is going to encourage you. Um, and then there are going to be moments where you should have the junk challenged out of you. Because uh, that's what happens to me as I read, and I've read, I've been reading this book so many times over and over and over again just in preparation for the series. In fact, to be honest, I don't know when last I've been so excited about a series. Um, it's challenging me. Like, it, it is challenging me. I'm realizing even more sin in my life and weakness, but it is challenging me big time. And so I really do think that it's going to be a significant series. In fact, uh, I mean, I really don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating, but I, I feel like this has the potential to change our lives, not just individually, but even corporately, like, like as a church. I think it can actually shift, in some cases, our, our paradigm. It's just so so meaty as it really keeps getting to the heart of issues. So it's not about getting you to put a particular practice into, uh, into place um, out of legalism, but, but it just if, if we can receive what is trying to challenge in our hearts, it, it can't not change you. Uh, if we're open to what God is wanting to do. Just before I get into this first uh, section of this particular series, I want to encourage you, two weeks from today, can you believe that we're in spring two weeks from today? So the 1st of September is two weeks from today. It is flying. Um, and if you're finding yourself saying more and more often that I can't believe how quickly this year has gone by, that means you're getting old, okay? And every year I'm like, I can't believe the year's already, you know, going by so quickly. So I'm getting older. Um, but on the 1st of September, we have our really good friends, Michael Smith and Will Johnson from the ARC Global Team that are going to be with us on that Sunday. You might have been with us last year, September, when they came down for the ARC Southern Africa Conference, um, which will be taking place the week after that up in George. Um, they are just two very special uh, guys that I deeply appreciate. Um, I really, really appreciate their friendship and their support. They, they're part of the global team that has helped uh, see probably close to roughly a thousand churches planted in the last, um, I'm guessing, 17 years, give or take. And so, and so this ARC church planting movement is taking place in more and more countries around the world. And so they're, they're part of overseeing that. And I really think that you'll benefit from coming along. So, in fact, that's one of those rare Sundays where we encourage you to double dip. Okay, so that's where we say, come twice. It's so nice. Okay, so... I really would encourage you to make sure that you plan your weekend accordingly. Take caffeine if you need to. I mean, if getting into church twice is that big a deal. But uh, I think you'll be blessed. Honestly, I think you'll be topped up. So don't miss out on Sunday, the 1st of September. Um, just to give you a quick little background to the book of James. James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. His name was James. And 
um, he was actually uh, one of the first leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So he kind of oversaw the very first church that was established after the resurrection and ascension. And uh, tradition holds that he was actually known as camel knees, not because he was really old and leathery, but because he had calluses on his knees from the amount of time he spent on his knees praying. That's a pretty good reputation to have, I think. Um, the fact that he was the half-brother of Jesus is interesting because he doesn't even claim that. You'll see in a moment that as he starts off the very beginning of the book, he refers to himself as a slave of Jesus. So just this incredible humility. And as he gets into this first portion that we're going to take a look at and really encourages people to have a godly perspective when they are suffering, when we are struggling, um, it's important to note that tradition holds that he was actually martyred himself. So he was, a tradition holds, beheaded in the year AD 62, which was probably 10 or 12 years after he wrote this letter. So, so we need to appreciate that he's living in a context and writing in a context where he himself is constantly being stretched and suffering. But these, but these early Christians and these, and these New Testament writers had such a revelation of eternity. It was like, like whatever, like, like whatever we have to endure in this life. Like seriously, there was such a revelation of what really mattered and how real. I think eternity was more real to them than what life was. And so they were willing to endure whatever they had to go through. Martyrdom was like, oh my head, you mean, Lord, you would consider us worthy of martyrdom? Seriously. That's, that's quite a paradigm. So, so James is, is an incredible guy and, and very challenging. And if you read through the book, you'll see very quickly that he's got this desperate burden to, to fight against the deception that was already starting to come into the church that you could just relax with some um, almost superficial, theoretical, academic belief. Like, yeah, 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 sure, Jesus is God. No worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, yeah, okay. So he died. Like, a lot of these people were still alive, you know, from when the crucifixion had taken place. So they weren't denying it. So they was like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Jesus died. We kind of believe that he rose from the dead. Um, you know, so, so it's kind of like people nowadays, yeah, that, that whole Easter thing, I get it. We enjoy chocolate. You know, it's, it's, it's great. And there's, and there's this kind of mental acceptance without allowing it to actually do something on the inside to where we are transformed. And so James is, is passionate about challenging that, that almost lazy, theoretical, inaccurate type of faith. So he's like, we need to have faith. But he keeps challenging us that if that faith doesn't show up, in our lives, if that doesn't show up in our attitude, if that doesn't show up in our thinking, if that doesn't show up in the way that I treat people, if that doesn't show up in the way that I handle wealth, if that doesn't show up in the way that I say things and talk, if that doesn't show up in the way that I don't show partiality to some people versus others and to people that are wealthy and those that are poor, in the way, if it doesn't show up in the way that I view and treat the vulnerable, he's like, well then, Actually, is your faith even real? Like he wasn't shy. I'm just telling you. James was, he was, he was passionate. He had a strong conviction. One of the key uh, verses, in my opinion, is James 1 verse 22, where he says, but don't just listen to God's word. And it is important to listen, because that's where it starts. But he's like, guys, don't, don't stop there. He's like, don't just listen to God's word. You must do 
what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So here's the big question for us. Is our faith fooling us or is it producing fruit? Is it actually showing up? If it's not showing up, then we have to accept the fact that maybe right now I'm not actually engaging in my faith the way I should. And when I say faith, I mean relationship with God. Not just, okay, okay, I better believe more. No, no, you probably believe enough. Take a look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, I don't have time to unpack this, but, but if you just read that verse alone, you might misunderstand. But I thought that we saved by faith, through grace. Not by any works that any man should boast. Right? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. So that's why we always have to interpret the Bible against itself. This isn't contradicting anything. He's not saying that you're not saved by faith. He's saying that you can't be saved by faith and it not do something in you. He goes on in verse 19. This is one of the most challenging verses in the Bible. Okay? If this doesn't challenge you, then just relax. Go to sleep, put your screensaver on. The rest isn't going to make any difference. You ready? You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? In other words, he's saying, hey, just so you know, if you're saying, well, I believe, he's like, so do the demons. They're not, they're not sitting having these, these, these seminars debating whether or not Jesus died on the cross. They're like, shit, Jesus died on the cross and he came back to life. We've got to do something. Like, they're not arguing over it. They know the truth. In fact, I think in many cases, they're more convinced of the truth than what Christians are. I don't mean that with, with any disrespect. I'm being dead serious. For them, it's not a question. It's like, it's like you and I aren't going to argue over whether or not there's a pulpit, lectern, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's here. So, so he's saying to just believe, to think, well, okay, I'm not one of these other religions, or I'm not, I don't subscribe to one of these other philosophies. You're like, okay, I'll tick the, that box. He's like, uh-uh. He's saying, no, no, no. If that's what you are settling for, your faith could be no better than the demons. And so our faith has to be different to the demons. And the only way, I, I, that sounds terrible, right? Like, I'm just, I don't worry, I won't say the D word again. I'm just telling you that it has to be different to the D, okay? And the only way for it to be different is if we're engaging with God in a personal relationship to such an extent that it, that it forms fruit. Like, you can't help it. It'll be formed. We, we did a message a while back on John 15. Like, if, if, we, if we stay connected to, to the Father as the grapevine, sorry, Jesus as the grapevine and, and, and the Father, so God is, is, you know, is the God and He comes and prunes. If we are staying connected, you can't help it. You will form fruit. You don't have to force it. So that's good news, by the way, in case you're feeling discouraged. You don't, have to, you, you don't have to force it, and I would definitely encourage you not to fake it. I would encourage you to position yourself in the kind of relationship with God where, where, where you're in the environment. And that's what you've got to ask yourself. Am I actually positioning myself in the right environment? Am I, am I living in the soil that produces fruit? Because if, if I'm not producing fruit, then you have to check your soil. You can't help it if you're in the right soil You're going to produce fruit. And so this is what James is on about throughout this entire letter, this entire epistle, this little book. He's like, no, no, no. If you're in the right soil, if you're you're in the right relationship with God, if if your faith is real, 
you, fruit will be formed, guys. You're going to love people differently. You're going to speak differently. You're going to think differently. If, if you're wealthy and a Christian, you're going to have a different attitude towards wealth. And by the way, probably 80-90% of people sitting here right now would be considered wealthy on the global scale. So, so be careful that you don't... Most people define wealth as anyone that's got a bit more than them. No, no, you'll be surprised. Okay? So it's, it's, is my attitude towards wealth any different to someone who's not in a relationship with God? Is my attitude towards my enemies any different towards those that are not in a relationship with God? Is, is my attitude towards the marginalized, the, the, the poor, the vulnerable, is it any different? This is what James is on about. Okay, let's move on and get into the portion for today. We're going to read James 1 verse 1. This is a letter... This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Like, hello? He's writing to a group of people that if you read Acts chapter 8, they've been dispersed. So persecution came over the church, over a group of Christians, and they're like... They've had to go, and, and for the most part, they're probably living under some level of... Think about it, you're a refugee, Right? Again, many people here can relate to that. You're a refugee. You, you might feel like you have less rights where you are. You, you're, you know, you're now having to deal with a cross-cultural scenario. Maybe there are people there as well that are also going to persecute you because of your beliefs. So you're, so you're dealing with stuff. Life's not easy. So then take a look at what he says in the next verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This is the key thought today. Anyone going through troubles at the moment, anyone dealing with some trials, some tests, some troubles, many of you are lying if your hand's not up. I'm just telling you. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this. Anyone, anyone being stretched? Look at this. Way more honesty. Okay, okay, okay. Everyone's hands up. Let's try that one more time. Is there anybody... That you would say, right now, I'm in a season of testing. In some way, wow. It's like we've had revival. Now, two hands, I'm seeing. Some t- Anybody sitting next to that? Okay, no, no, no. Don't, don't answer that question. That'll cause way more trouble. He's saying, consider an opportunity for great joy. Now, come on. If we're honest and real, not many of us are going to often consider it. Like, like, whoa, I'm suffering. This is hard. This is, like, that's not naturally... Our response, but he tells us why. For you know, remember, faith that forms fruit, it's different. Different. So, okay, so we're gonna have a different approach to suffering. We're gonna have a different approach to troubles and testing. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, just to quickly encourage you, if you're like, I'm far from perfect. No, no, this isn't talking about a sinless perfection. This is talking about where where our integrity is growing, where our wholeness is growing, where we are becoming more and more whole, more and more mature. In fact, it is such a strong theme for James that he uses the word that we translate as integrity or wholeness seven times in this short little book, in this book with five chapters. He is so concerned that we close the gap between, between our intentions and our actions. He is so concerned that, that we close the gap between what we believe and how we behave. 
That's integrity. And he's saying, guys, the, the only way to actually have that happen, to have, to have some of those impurities and imperfections coming to the surface, is if you allow the heat of testing to actually, to actually do its work so that you can become whole and holy. And so I want to just look at a few very practical steps just quickly as to how we can respond to this. How can we have faith that forms fruit when we are struggling? How can we trust in God, how can we trust when we are being tested? And I'm not even talking about temptations today. That's next week. Come back. You want to know more about temptations? I'm just talking about testing for today. So, number one, recognize what's really going on. Recognize what's really going on. You see, the problem with problems is that the problem is often a distraction from the real problem. I don't know about you. When, when someone is annoying me or when you feel like, you, like you're just not getting what you think you should be getting because you, you're doing the right stuff, you're investing, you, you're trying, you're persevering, you, you, you're trying to work on that relationship and you're just not getting what you want or you've got that mean girl that you're dealing with at school or you've got that jerk for a boss um, that, you, that, you, that, you, that you think that you've persevered with for a long enough time. We get so distracted with the thing. Like, God, if you can just sort him out, I don't care if you kill him, whatever, just get rid of him, Okay. <laughs> Or if you can just like get her to move to another you know, city. And, and so we think that the problem is the problem and the problem is not the problem. Yeah. Very often, I would, I would argue that almost always, if God is allowing us to be tested, I would argue that almost always there's a, there's a different issue beneath the issue. And that doesn't mean that you don't want that sorted out. Yes, you can commit that to God. Pray about that. But I'm saying, no, no, no. Think deeper. Slow down. God, what is really going on? God, what are you trying to do in me right now? Because if God is allowing you to be tested, we were singing a little bit earlier, and it's actually based on Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph is talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery, and he's like, you guys intended this for harm, but God intended it for good. And Joseph spent 13 years as a slave being accused of rape, um, so a slave, a servant, being, being accused of rape and, and in prison for several years before, before the good news. Right? But, but Joseph, for him to have said what he said in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, he had to have had a revelation that, no, no, that's, like, me just, me just getting out of prison, that's not the real problem. Or me just getting out of this false accusation, which might be a word for somebody here right now, by the way, that I think that's the problem, and if God can just sort it out, no, no, is God trying to do something deeper? They're intending it for harm, but God is intending it for good. And so when he, when he actually uses this, this word about consider an opportunity for joy, he's like, he's like it's almost like, like exciting. Like, consider it a, like a, a really good opportunity. Yeah. And again, that might sound almost a little, bit, a little bit crazy to you, but it's because James had this revelation that it is an education. He's like, if you will just allow God to do what he's trying to do. Guys, it's an education. And what's interesting is that so many of us would be so grateful, I hope. I mean, if you wouldn't be grateful, then again, that's a different issue that you might need to work through. But I think that so many of us would be grateful if we had the opportunity to get, to get a world-class education somewhere. Maybe, maybe you're in a stage of life where you would, where, where you would kill, which is not a good thing, to, to have an all-expenses-paid bursary, to, to even just a local 
university, not to mention a global university, you know, to, to get into something well-respected like a Harvard or a Cambridge or, or, or an Oxford or, or whatever your particular field of specialty is, you know, MIT, where, like, wait, what? All, ex- like, travel, food, accommodation, some spending money, some party money, you know, you know uh, <laughs> textbooks, etc. Like, you'd be grateful, but they're going to make you suffer, they're going to stretch you. If, if you can do it, you don't need the education. They're going to stretch you. You're going to experience some pain and some discomfort. But we'd be grateful, or at least we should be. And what's so interesting is that for many of us, we would be so grateful to have, again, maybe in a different stage of life to where you would love to do an internship with some global leader in your particular area of, of, um, of passion and, 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 and experience. And it's amazing that we would love to spend time with a world-class leader or expert or a world-class, at a world-class institution when actually we have access to the creator of the world who's trying to do something with an education. He's like, Jason, I know where I've got you. Don't jump out at this level. You haven't graduated. And that's why some of us, it's like, oh, deja vu. I've been here before. 17 times. You know, because, because I have to keep taking the test again and again, because I keep jumping out, because I keep not allowing God to, to, to do what he's needing to do to build that security or to build that identity or to build that contentment or to build that, that tenacity or that endurance or that grit. Guys, he's trying to do something. Don't fight against God. In fact, that, that word test or tested or, or when you're being tested is actually a word that comes from... Um, Something that the, that the silversmiths or the goldsmiths used to do, where, where they would put the metal into this, co- this cauldron and they, were, and they would light a fire and they would heat this thing up until eventually the metal was boiling. And, and so as this, as the, let's say the gold, right? As the gold is, is busy boiling, all of the impurities, all the imperfections land up coming to the surface. I don't know how or why. You can go study this somewhere, but, but it comes to the surface. And so then what the goldsmith does is he scoops off the junk, and then he sees if he can see his reflection in the gold jet. And if he can't, he just, he just stokes that fire again. Stokes that fire again until some more impurities come out. And, it's like, and he scoops it off, lets it settle. Can you see his reflection yet? And what we need to hear and believe is that heat, you know, when we're being tested, it's heat, not hatred. It's God allowing the heat to be turned up so that these imperfections, these weaknesses, these, the, the, these gaps in our character can, can be brought out so that he can scoop it off so that eventually he can see more and more of his image as he looks at us. I don't know about you. I do not think that God can see enough of his image when he looks at me. I'm talking personal life, not, not what you see. I can honestly tell you that, 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 that when it really comes down to it, I don't care what you see and what you think. I've been doing this long enough. I know what a Christian looks like. I've got to look, I've got to look at, the, at the recesses of my heart. I've got, to, I've got to reflect on Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. God, search me and know my heart. Like, forget, what, what anyone, forget what anyone thinks on social media. What people, some people are going to like you. Some people are going to hate you. Like, no, no, God. I don't, God, there's an audience of one. Search me and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. That's what Sue was praying about earlier. Like, like, what are my fears? God, test me. Test me. 
Some of us pray, God, make us stronger. No, God, don't make us stronger. No, 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 no. Get me out of this. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything. God, point. This is, this is scripture. Point out anything in me that offends you. God, let, let that stuff come to the... Okay, wait, no, maybe don't let it. Okay, okay. okay. Oh, okay. Maybe, okay. Okay, maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, just turn up a little bit. You know, point out anything in me that offends you that, that you know I can handle right now. Like just, you know, and lead me on the path of everlasting life. Guys, come on. Our, if you are a Christian with faith that is different to the demons, sorry, the D's, then our primary concern should be to what extent can God see his reflection in me when he looks at me? Let's pay attention to what is really going on. Number two, cooperate with God's growth process. Just just surrender. Cooperate. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't like it right now. I don't like these circumstances that I'm in, but help me not to jump out of the circumstances. Help Help me, God, in this financial difficulty. God, in this relational tension. God, in this insecurity, in this jealousy, in, in, this, in this anxiety, God, help me to persevere, to trust you with your growth process. That's faith. To say, God, I don't like this. I don't know what's going on. In fact, I'm pretty cheesed off right now, which, by the way, God can handle, just so you know. And if you don't believe that, read the Psalms. There were a lot of very honest comments. Some of them are like, I mean, anyway, I can't understand how they can even get that in the Bible, but they did, which tells you that God's very secure. Cooperate with his growth process. Verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. How frustrated would you be if you're in grade 10 and the first, you know, you get to the end of the first term, you're like, you're not even, I mean, like, you're kind of doing these like little baby exams because it's not like middle of the year yet and it's not the end of the year. But you're like, I don't like that and I quit. Then the next year you come back and you're like, oh, you have to do grade 10 again. You know, you get through the first quarter and maybe, maybe into the second term and you're like, oh, I really don't like this teacher. I don't like this curriculum. And you quit. And you come back again next year. Somewhere along the line, you're going to be like, I can't progress until I finish that year, until I finish that season, until I finish what God's trying to do in me. Guys, faith that is different to the demons, faith that, that forms fruit, is faith that says, God, have your way. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Have your way. God, I don't, I, when I try and take control of my life, I mess it up. Cooperate. Guys, he's a good dad. He's a good dad. And I'm just telling you that, that, that as a father who's imperfect, which means I'm not good sometimes, I'm desperately concerned that I do the best I can for my kids where I'm far more concerned with their future health and wholeness than their immediate happiness. And if you're a parent, that should be your concern because later is much longer. By the way, maybe you're sitting here today and actually that's your test. Your test is is that you are trying, you're you're trying to make your kids happy and and please please don't misunderstand this. But if your primary concern is having them like you, that's very hard to be a healthy parent. Because there are going to be times where you need to 
Do we, we need to have boundaries? And these, this is very age dependent. Okay, what you can do at two, you can't do at twelve, and you can't do at eighteen, and you can't do at twenty. But do we love them enough to to coach them and to parent them and to discipline them for their future? Because that's that's who God is for us. God's not just oh, shame. I hope they like me. I hope they feel good about me today. God's like, who cares? We're going to grow them. We're going to make them strong. We want them to be able to carry, carry responsibility. So, so when you feel like, God, I'm really struggling in my finances, and I think I'm doing everything I can. I don't know what else to do. But, and I want more, which I'm happy with more, by the way. Like, I don't think that's bad. It's what comes behind it and all the rest. But, but then accept that God's going to perhaps take us through seasons where he wants to see how we handle what is in our hands. Maybe you want, maybe you're praying for a spouse. And, and again, like you, you can't put a formula to this. I'm just saying that, that, that if your life is surrendered to God, so there are loads of people that make their own way and there are all kinds of implications for that. But, but if your life is surrendered to God and you've got faith that forms fruit, then you're going to say, God, your timing, what do you want to do in me in the meantime? God, where are you trying to make me secure? How, how are you helping me? Where are you wanting me to, to find my identity in you and not in and not in a person. Because if you're not enough without that person, you're not going to be enough with that person. If you're going to look to a person to fulfill you, guys, we can make an idol out of our spouses and out of our kids. We put them into a position that only God should have. So let's cooperate with his process. On version, there are a whole bunch of extra scriptures there about, like just to explain to you that, that it's a theme in scripture about perseverance. And endurance. I don't have time to go through that now. I will just tell you though that I think my greatest strengths and deepest faith have come out of my darkest times and my most painful experiences. Just so you know, if you want to get strong, then you're gonna you're gonna have resistance. Those of you that have ever tried to go to gym, you know that it's that if you want to build muscle, you do what they call resistance training. Or they call it bodybuilding or weight training. But it's resistance training. That's what it is. It's like, I have to resist this thing. So if you want to get strong, you need to be willing to be stretched. Number three is simply ask for God's help. I know this is obvious and not terribly profound, but, but it's amazing to me how often, even if you are a Christian, how often God is our last resort. Where we will try everything else and everyone else on the planet before we will actually ask God. And that's why we've kind of had this little tagline for the last few years. And we've got these pray first wristbands that we give out every now and then. We've said that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Just pray. Just ask God for help. James 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, look at this. Ask our generous God. He's generous. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking He's a generous God. It's his plan that we need him. In fact, Jeremy Foster says, God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. Yet it's amazing how that's what we pray for. We want this perfect life that doesn't require God. God's like, that's not the life I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a life that actually needs me. He's not going to be disturbed. He's going to be delighted. If you'll just approach him. Be honest, be real, be raw. God is very secure. When you're dealing with confusion, talk to God. When you're facing multiple options, talk to God. 
when you're feeling discouraged, don't fake it. Like, God's not impressed with faking it. Hey, God, you're amazing. He's like, you don't think that you're a liar. Just be honest. I mean, don't shout it out loud and worship. I don't trust you. Like, that'd be weird, okay? But in, your, but in your personal time with God, God, I'm struggling to trust you right now. God, I, I mean, I, I, I know you're good, but I don't feel like you're good right now. God, would you, would you meet me where I'm at? Would you help me? Would you direct my thoughts? My encouragement to you is to ask God for help. When we are praying, don't let your prayer simply be, God, get me out of this. You could be asking God to get you out of the exact place that he wants you and where he's trying to do something. Rather, let the question be, God, what are you trying to do in me? God, what do you want to achieve in this season right now? And lastly, number four, is simply narrow the focus of your faith. And if you think about it, that's quite a strange statement. But the reason for that, if you go on in verse 6 to 8, James says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. I'm like, well, isn't that obvious? No, it's not. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the sea. That, that word that is translated divide, divided loyalty is actually talking, in, in, in direct English it would be, don't have two souls. Don't, don't allow yourself to have, to have this multiple allegiance. Settle your allegiance. In other words, he's not saying, you know, if you don't have this perfect faith, none of us, by the way, just so you know, just to encourage you, no one here has got perfect faith. So I don't think that that's what James is referring to. No one here has got perfect faith, never has a doubt, never has a question, never has a crisis. Does that encourage anyone? But my allegiance in, in, the, in the midst of my insecurities, my challenges, my doubts, is God, no, no, God, I don't know, but I believe. My allegiance is to you. God, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but if it's your will, my answer is yes. That's different to a soul that is saying, I kind of trust the world and its ways. Okay, wait. No, no. Think, no, God, I kind of trust you and your ways. No, wait. God, I, I mean, world, uh, this seems to work because I'm looking at people and they do it this way and it seems to work for them. And then you try and it doesn't work. Okay, God. Maybe, maybe you have a different way for me. And, so, and, and so, so it's an actual fundamental allegiance that is not settled on God. I don't know what's going on and I'm shaking and I'm weak and I'm frustrated, but, but, I, but, I, I'm, but I'm all in. That's, that's what that is referring to. So, so, by the way, just to encourage you, it's amazing how God gives us way more than what we deserve. God is way more gracious. God is way more patient than what we could ever deserve. But a person who's going to treat God like a genie in the bottle, look at what it says. Such people should not expect to receive anything. Which means that people that are loyal to God should expect to receive wisdom. Verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. It's like you're just this weird, washy, wavy thing that's just, and he's like, guys, that's gonna, like, you're going you're gonna to go bananas. You, narrow the focus of your faith. I love what Proverbs 3 verse 5 says when it puts it like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not depend on your own understanding. It's not saying that you can't have your own understanding. It's just saying don't put all your faith there. Like, don't put your faith there. Okay, God, I've got my understanding, but I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to try and be wise, but, but I need ultimate wisdom from you. Seek his will in all you do. In other words, not, God, I need you to do that prosperity thing that some of those TBN preachers tell me about. Okay, God, can I leave you with that? Don't, don't touch this relationship thing that I want to deal with over here. And this, and this, and this career thing that I, well, I like this. I mean, I don't know if you want me to do it, but I like this whole thing. And, but yeah, yeah, that prosperity thing, you, you handle it. He's like, no, 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 no. Seek his will in all you do. Sam mentioned it last week in one of the services that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Narrow the focus of your faith. The worship team can come on up. I believe that as we do that, as we, as we go all in, in other words, maybe you're even sitting here today and you know that, that this is kind of speaking to you. Don't flirt with God. Like, like don't like dabble, dabble, dip, dip. Like, excepting for the 1st of September. You can double dip that day, but that's different. No, no. God, I'm going all in. I think that when we stop playing the field and we go all in, 20 years ago, I made a commitment to Sue. On days where I feel like it and days where I don't feel like it and and in our good times and our bad times, we made a commitment to one another. We stopped dating and we entered into a covenant. If you're here this morning and you know that you've been dating God, my encouragement is get married. Go all in. All in. Guys, you won't be mocked. He is the creator of the universe. Guys, I am a speck on 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 a speck of a speck compared to God. Why do I feel like I'm entitled to be able to fully describe and define and limit this limitless God? Where His ways are not my ways and where His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I feel like I have the right. Now again, you, you can be real, but I don't have the right to get, to get mad at God when I, He doesn't make sense to me. And there have been times where He hasn't made sense to me. No, no. God, I'm all in. On the days that I like it, on the days that I don't. I'm all in. I'm all in. It's worth dying for, God. Until death, well, they won't do us part, joins us better together, actually. I think that if that's our attitude, if that's the kind of faith that we have, I think we'll be able to discern what's really going on if we're patient with God and we create space to talk to Him. I think we'll, I think we'll be patient with the process. We'll allow God to do what He's trying to do. Our, our focus will be so narrowed as we're trusting God. And look at this great news. He ends off this section in James 1 verse 12. This is our last verse. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Can I get you to stand for a moment? I'm going to read this again. Just stand where you are for a moment. I want you to hear this as a promise. Because in a group this size... There have got to be people standing here that are hanging on by a thread. You're, just, you're, go, you're going through so much 
and your faith is like, it's like this little, just this fine little hair that you hang on by. I want to encourage you. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. We'll talk more about temptation next week. But for now, God blesses those who endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. The crown of life. This is speaking about eternal life, everybody. It's, it's, it's not a prize that fades away. It is amazing. I was talking with the worship team about this earlier this morning before, like for our prayer meeting. The amount of effort that we'll put into, or, or that not, not, not we, I sound like I'm an athlete. People will put into just partaking in a race, not to mention winning a race. Just to be able to say, I ran this, or I completed that. You know, to, to get that t-shirt that's going to fade away. Guys, let's persevere for a prize that will never fade away. Eternal life with God. Come on, man. Come on. God is he's worth it. He's worth going all in.